This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Andres Hake, Advanced Design Professor at Columbia GSAP and founder of the Office for Political Innovation that has developed performative architectural works such as Superpowers of 10, IKEA Disobedience, or 12 Actions to Make Peter Eisenman Transparent. Today, I'm here speaking with Bryony Roberts, principal at Bryony Roberts Studio, who is currently visiting professor in the Department of Preservation at Columbia GSAP, and that has gained a voice, a very strong voice, in the discussions of what it means for architecture to intervene the urban, through works like Corpus Tranio at the Piazza del Campidoglio in Rome. We know how to order in Federal Plaza in Chicago that gained all the attention during the past Chicago Biennial, or inverting Nutra at the BDL House in Los Angeles. Bryony, thank you for joining me in this conversation. I'm super happy to be discussing again after this uh, recent event that we had here on performing history. And maybe a good way to start this conversation could be with, a, with you talking of the way architectural performance deals with what already exists. I think this is a fundamental part of your work and one that somehow challenges what we think of architecture intervening the existing. Thank you, Andres. It's such a pleasure to be talking again with you about this. Um, so I guess to zoom out a little bit, I'll say that my work always deals with history and kind of questioning how we as contemporary designers engage history. Um, both our, our methods, but also um, our goals and our audiences. And I think it's important for us to be very kind of self-aware and self-critical about our um, abilities to present history um, for a new audience. So the performance is a way of bringing the body into the picture um, to talk about specifically the social dimension of existing architecture. I think this is something that we often overlook in both architectural design, but also preservation, that there's a focus on the architectural value, the sort of material conditions, and not as much the social experience of those places, mm -hmm. and how that actually makes up a lot of the history that we value. So the performance is a way of sort of getting to the social, but it's also a way of transforming it. So um, through performances, I can introduce new agents into a site who may not be the expected audience or the expected actors. Um, and so, for example, the project in Chicago, it was about working with youth from the south side of Chicago to transform this plaza in the Loop, a site that they normally wouldn't feel very comfortable in or have easy access to. Um, so it's a way of, again, addressing the social, but also kind of problematizing which bodies are allowed in a space, um, who are even entitled to interpret a space and kind of recreate it. So, I'm very excited to hear the way you talk about the social, because the way you talk about the social is not like the social is basically the humbles, but it's really the compositions by which different things, buildings, people, bodies, other beings, but also the large scale of the city come together. In a way, when you talk of the social, I have the feeling that this a different notion of architecture, in which basically architecture is not the container of society, but is society itself 
it becomes kind of a composition constituted by different actors that can only be enacted through performance. And through that performance, those components get to be exposed. Mm -hmm. I have the feeling that, for instance, when you talk about Chicago and the Federal Square, the plaza, uh, in a way, you're expanding, you're understanding that the, the, the plaza is already composed by the larger scale of the city, but also by the tiny ones of bodies that are segregated and that are distributed unequally in the, uh, in the access to resorts, uh, resources, but also in the access to the city itself. Mm -hmm. This is something that, in my opinion, is central to your work, both understanding society as architecture itself, and two, understanding the uh, architectural objects as ones that operate simultaneously at different scales. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I love that way of looking at it, because um, it's true, I think of architecture as this sort of interconnected um, web of objects and people that can't be separated from each other. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think many people might sort of acknowledge that in terms of architectural design. But I think with preservation, um, it's even more uh, maybe counter to the conventions to think of historical objects that way. And more and more, it's becoming part of the discourse. But um, you know, I see any historical object as really defined by the kind of politics of the people around it who are interested in it, who want to transform it, who use it. Um, I was actually just teaching on this topic this morning in my seminar here at GSAP. Um, we were talking about the experimental preservation book that Jorge just edited, um, and his essay where he talks about the sort of quasi-object, um, where the object is defined by this kind of relational dynamic between the person and the object that changes both the object and the person. So both are sort of, neither one is autonomous. And I think that's exactly how I, how I think about historic spaces. Yeah, in a way I'd like to know more, more about your take on preservation, what is that that you could consider that is not the kind of preservation that you would defend? What is that <laughs> preservation that you would not feel aligned to your way of doing? Right. Um, I think it's about time and the passage of time, really, um, that this sort of cliche of preservation is that it's freezing something in time, either as it is now or returning to a past moment that's chosen um, somewhat arbitrarily sometimes, um, but that the idea is that you can freeze a space in a moment. And when you move away from that position, you acknowledge that something is constantly changing, that it should constantly change. It opens up a whole other attitude towards what the object is, towards the authorship of people who intervene in that space. Um, it starts to mean that like later actors, not just the original designer, are also important, equally important. And it starts to kind of destabilize the perception of that thing, that you know it's partial, it's aggregated, it accumulates over time. Um, and so, yeah, it's really against the kind of museumification or mummification mm -hmm. of a space or a building. Yeah, it brings to my mind the, when we were working on uh, the, the, the reenactment of the Ims movie, Powers of Ten, for instance, there was a moment in which we discovered that the way the movie was relating to reality was very much a, like a preservation project. They were seeing that they were selecting certain aspects of daily life as those who could be somehow perpetuated in the movie and would explain reality 
through themselves. And that is something that, in my opinion, brings uh, your work to the discussion. Uh, this idea that whatever way of looking at daily life that architecture selects is always constructed, it's not given. Mm -hmm. And that there's always actors that are displaced. And that often the work of architecture and as in these superpowers of time was, is also to reenact what has already been constructed, introducing all those other parts of society that were missing. My opinion, this is something that somehow challenged many of the ideas that we've received in, from architectural modernity. The idea that somehow architecture could be neutral, that there's lineages of evolution and progress. Mm -hmm. And the way I think you see it is more like looking at the picture as something that was constructed from one perspective and that could be reenacted once and again and again and again. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> um, that project and the idea of reenactment. Um, because I guess I'm becoming more and more interested in reenactment as a method of transformation. Um, I gave a talk recently on this idea of performativity, which I'm stealing from Judith Butler. This idea that you can change something by taking it in and embodying it yourself and thereby changing its kind of materiality, its presence in the world. So in that case, gender norms, but it could also be um, other social norms. So I'm so curious about how you think about reenactment as a means of dealing with history. In a way, I think the reference to Judith Butler is very relevant because Judith Butler also talks of identity as something that is performative mm -hmm. and that is always, to a certain extent, collectively performed. For me, this is very interesting, and the reference that you bring, in my opinion, is also making us think that societies are always, always in transition, mm -hmm. and, but that transition is very hardly, very kind of uh, intensively participated through or by architecture. So architecture makes and kind of plays a big role in the way societies evolve, transform, move from one point to the other. I agree with you that reenactment it's one of those methodologies, let's call it, yeah. that is going to be growing and growing because in a way it deals with many of the sensitivities that are growing in our societies. We're looking at history, but in a way there's two ways of looking at history. One that is just instrumentalizing history, like looking at history as a kind of fridge from which you can take <laughs> things, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to do my sandwich, I can take this, this, this. But I think that's kind of an old way of dealing with it. I think we're in a moment in which responsibility is very, it's, it's something that is very needed. And uh, there's certain realists um, in their reenactment, in the way that deals with history, but really looking at what was that power composition that came out of it, and what is the way that through contemporary sensitivities, we can retell the story, and by doing that, reconstructing the society that came out of it. And do you think it's important that that uses bodies, that there's a kind of physical dimension to reenactment? Well, I was about to ask you about this, because <laughs> one of the questions that I have is also about the, uh, the project on the Notre House. Uh -huh. For me, this is something very, very exciting as well, because whereas in the project in Rome or the one in, in Chicago that we've been talking about, uh, bodies were playing a key role. Uh, I have the feeling that in Notre, through these threads that you place, that somehow the actors that are 
being convened are others. Are for instance the the wind or the uh, the way people move around, but in a not so direct way. So in a way, there's other actors that are becoming part of the house, of the materiality and the the kind of performativity of the house itself. And for me, that's something that is very exciting. I was about to ask you, can we think of a performance with no bodies or a performance with no humans or with no beings? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I love that description of the project. I, didn't, I was never able to articulate it like that, but that's exactly it, that there, it sort of becomes about multiple forces, a larger you know, ecosystem, if you will. Um, and... I mean, the, the projects I do with patterning on the floor, for example, um, and that's kind of one of my current obsessions, is a lot about implied movement or um, so the movement also of perception. So drawing people into a space and then having them enter into this puzzle where geometry starts to suggest patterns of movement or, or also movement of the eye because the patterns are incomplete or they're you know, hybridized, so it's a little confusing and you have to look closely to sort of understand what's going on. Um, I'm really interested in that as a way of working on movement also, that it's, I guess it's a more open-ended script um, for people to kind of pick up and mm -hmm. explore. Yeah, for me, this discussion of geometry is very interesting because in a way it's very much putting the uh, kind of focus on something that is being shaped in architectural practices for a long time. And a big part of architectural practices are kind of funded on the idea of geometry or, or geometrical notions. Uh, I believe that those notions, uh, in the, for instance, in the 80s and 90s, were very much something that people thought was embedded in buildings. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the configuration, material configuration of buildings, the influence of Colin Rowe, for instance, was huge at one point, like the, the regulations of uh, buildings through geometry, something that was the kind of the, the automatic approach to connect geometry with buildings. I have the feeling that in, in our works, in both your work and my work, Geometry is something that happens within time as well. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, for me in Superpowers of Ten, but also in other projects like, uh, well, IKEA Disobedience, but in Superpowers of Ten, the idea of the frame, for instance, was something that I found that is actually the geometry that the imps imposed. Mm -hmm. So if the imps had been seen as this super free kind of uh, language and everything very kind of loose, and actually, there was something that was permanently confronted or kind of imposed through the architecture that was this idea of the central frame. They were always framing things, framing slides, framing uh, screens, framing furniture to be photographed and introducing framed uh, design. So in my opinion, what is, and then it was this idea that what comes out of the frame is not counting. And in, in, your, in your work, I also have the feeling that, for instance, the, you read the, the paving in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Piazza del Campidoglio as something that somehow shaped people's behavior and that you can disobedient uh, or you can be disobedient about. And I, I have the feeling that it brings geometry to something that goes beyond the form. It goes to the actual way that space connects to time and to movement and to the constitution of subjectivities. And I really think that uh, in that respect, we're connected to a common interest. Mm. Don't you have this feeling? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was how your kind of understanding of performance and bodies actually influences 
the forms that you create in architectural projects? Because it seems to me like there's a connection, that things, um, that the arrangement of shapes is something you sort of discover over time um, in your installations or in your, I mean, some of the projects are very interactive, right? Mm -hmm. So you create sort of performance, like in the Tupperware house, right, where you're, you know, the, the relationship is very clear from one to the other. But then I was wondering on like a sort of geometric formal level, do you think about geometry um, in connection to time and to interaction with people? Yeah, totally. So in a way, many of the works that, uh, that we develop, uh, it's the very related to the way you kind of inscribe and register uh, evolutions of form and how it is produced. It's something that in a way talks of form already incorporating a performative dimension to it. For instance, I, I would give you the example of the uh, house in Never, in Never Neverland. This is a house that we did to kind of fit in an ecosystem. What I mean by fit is basically how that it was trying to respond to the question how architecture can make compatible the hedonistic life of a, a bunch of people uh, with the wealth, the very fragile wealth of an ecosystem of Calabadella in Ibiza. And we had to track all the dynamics in the ecosystem and find a way to make them compatible to the dynamics of the hedonistic life. The geometry of the building is very weird and very, actually very complex and it was very difficult to deal with. But it was not the result of, a, let's say, an abstract and kind of autonomous speculation. It was rather uh, a reading and kind of a matching, a coupling of the mapping of very diverse and kind of initially incompatible realities and dynamics and perf daily performances. So in a way, I believe that there's this uh, possibility of thinking architecture as a mediator between kind of opposing and often incompatible ways of performing geometry. Mm -hmm. That in a way, I think that it's also what happens in your performances in many of them that we see that there's different sources of order that could be kind of matched together or kind of assembled together with certain level of uh, beauty, of peacefulness, of durability uh, through the work that you do, through the compositions that you, you produce. I think what's so impressive about your projects though is that you managed to really bridge these vastly different scales, you know, so that you can have an understanding of a really large kind of economic system or ecosystem, you know, you really, there's this in-depth research and analysis at that scale. And then you can also create a very tactile, sensuous experience, you know, at the sort of scale of the body. And that's so difficult to do. So <laughs> I think my mine operates at, an, at a smaller a range maybe of content um, and I'm and I'm wondering how you how you do that is it something that emerges from research that research turns into material or like performative experimentation how do you bridge from one to the other well in a, in a way the 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 way I think it works is basically by recognizing from the very beginning mm -hmm. that whatever you look at it's materially composed and it's already architecturally designed. Let's say that uh, any reality is happening through architecture. For me, what has been very important is to use the design tools to account for realities, to use them as a mapping tool 
because immediately you already have like a projectual outcome. And therefore, it's uh, very easy from the very beginning to understand what is the role architecture is. And by architecture, I mean, of course, um, both technological design, uh, geo geometrical and spatial arrangements, but also performative uh, dynamics or uh, orders or agreements or assemblages in, in general terms. So for me, what has been important is to find a symmetrical way of using uh, design uh, tools as a way of accounting reality and a way of intervening it. Mm -hmm. So uh, from that perspective, I find that we always do research, but while we're doing research, we're already designing. Mm -hmm. So there's no divorce between the two things. But actually, this is something that I want to ask you about, because I know that you're <laughs> both doing studio now here in uh, Colombia yeah. uh, on Harlem, uh -huh. and also you're working on a performance uh, on Harlem. Mm -hmm. And I find that this is a very unique situation, that in a way you're teaching and creating kind of a piece of work that will happen soon, I understand, uh, on a very particular urban setting, like Harlem, like this, the transitioning in many ways to other versions of itself, and also is retaining part of what it used to be in the past. So this is kind of a unique moment also to ask you, of how is that that you work? Yeah, <laughs> how do you do it? Um, well, I would say that the two projects kind of get back to a lot of what we were talking about before, that they're looking at structures, institutions that bring together the spatial and the social. Um, and have changed dramatically over time. So in the studio, we're looking at churches in Harlem and how they were once this sort of safe havens for African-American communities and now are you know, dwindling, many of them are vacant and facing all these economic challenges. And then in the performance, we're looking at marching bands and marching as an activity that was kind of a long, is a long running institution, which is really interesting that that is kind of a spatial tradition for claiming the streets, claiming public space, asserting the need to be seen, the need to have rights. Um, and so in both cases, we're sort of looking at the history of this thing and then asking, what does it mean now? Um, with the churches, with the students, and then with the other project, I'm working with Mabel Wilson and Storefront for an architecture. And so um, in both cases, it's kind of, again, through reenactment, through taking something and kind of re-embodying it. You, transform it. That's the idea. Um, but I was so struck when you were just talking now about how what you were saying about your process was so connected to what you said about me in the beginning, that, that you know, objects are never objects. They're completely, you know, sort of imbricated in these relationships between people. And I love that, I love that statement about sort of being able to look at anything and already seeing in it the network of, mm -hmm. you know, relations that kind of brought it into being. I think it's a really powerful tool. Yeah, I'm sure your students appreciate too. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I have the feeling that we both are kind of facing the same challenge. That it's a challenge that is kind of a, one of our field at this point. Mm -hmm. In the past, there was a moment in which there were people that were looking at the object as isolated realities, let's call it, that could be even formally defined, and that was it. And there were people that were looking at the networks 
uh, as if the networks were kind of immaterial and it was not very clear what was the role of architectural devices, and I'm talking of buildings, furniture, things like that, in the making of networks. I have the feeling that we're facing a very particular challenge at this point, which is how do we bring them together? How do we understand that on the one hand, uh, any object expands in net networks of associations, conflicts, uh, collaborations, uh, kind of continuities, but also discontinuities, so they belong to a kind of field of relationships, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the object counts, and the uh, participation of a particular architectural device in the network also depends on its particular and specific material configuration and the way that enables performance. So in a way, I think that we challenge kind of something very particular of our time, talking of relationships, but understanding what is the role that the very particular calibrations in material realities enable and block particular relationships. And therefore, the language cannot be that simple, cannot be just talking of immaterial architecture or just the object as something that somehow will open or will contain whatever reality that will happen in the future. We need to make something much more complex to understand this double condition of architectural devices. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of putting it, like for this whole situation in the field right now. And I think it also gives you more agency as a designer because the the way, I keep looking at our water bottles as like an example of an object that is designed but comes from all these, you know, sort of exterior forces as well. Um, but that, you know, if the object counts, then there is something that can be done as a designer to work on our reality. Um, whereas I think if you believe in an entirely just in the networked model of kind of top-down agency, it becomes very hopeless, very futile um, as an actor. Um, but then, then it also makes so much sense in terms of why performance has started to bubble up in architecture, because I think it is a way of talking about, you know, specificity of the objects and the people, you know, in front of us, but also these sort of larger relations that define a space, um, trying to bridge between the object and the and the social context. Um, to me, that's what performances uh, are capable of, and. I'm guessing probably for you too. But. I have a question that is uh, kind of, um, what about the future? What is future for you? I mean, you're talking about history, uh, which is not necessarily opposed to future, but in a way there's, future has been a great source of kind of um, ideas, speculation for architecture. In a way your work is, it doesn't seem to me to be about the future. So. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the thing that's always made me really excited, um, and I don't know how many people share this sentiment, but it's what moves me forward, is that I just think that a way of making that is really kind of relational and partial and, and in response to things that are there is really exciting. I find that super satisfying, that you kind of take in, you absorb all the complexity of a, of a place, of a thing, and then you kind of push on it with your own aesthetic, your own interests, and it pushes back. And it's sort of like that process, I, I think, is the future. <laughs> because I think we can't, we can't possibly design in a vacuum, um, but we also can't just sort of accept things the way they are. So I think that sort of 
responsive relational thing and it, and it has all kinds of interesting geometric and formal possibilities you know that's where i think designers can get excited that's what i mm -hmm. you know work on with my students like what is how do you it's a completely different way of designing you know how do you actually start from something that exists and and kind of pick it apart and multiply it and transform it so i think that's an in interesting future mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and I guess there's one thing that we should discuss now, yeah. which is politics. Uh -huh. I mean, in a way, both for you, for me, and for many other people, for many of our peers, the discussion on politics in architecture, it's very, very important. You wrote a, a, a very celebrated piece for the Avery Review on the autonomy of uh, architecture. And I believe that that's something that we can discuss now because in a way it's central to both your work and my work and yeah. what kind of politics is, are those then that architectural devices do? What are the politics that are uh, the uh, specific ones of uh, architectural practices? Yeah. I think this is something, a uh, discussion that you proposed and I think it's, it's great that you did it because it's central to your work. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think in that text, I was basically talking about, it was in reaction to this discussion um, at, at the AA London around Chantal Mouffe, who I greatly admire. Um, and I guess I was surprised at how much the discussion focused on politics through representation, that um, architecture was leaning on its abilities to kind of symbolize democracy or, um, or freedom. Um, and that that would play out through form or through representation. Um, whereas I feel like we've been sitting very comfortably in a world of abstraction for a really long time. And I think politics is all about the specific. I mean, this gets to what you said too, that you know, all of these larger forces, they come through in the specifics, specificities of an object or of a person. And that's the level at which you can really see them and engage with them and you know, have agency. Um, so I think my interest in historic buildings and in preservation is all about that, that um, the specifics are where politics lie. Um, and then the agency comes through these processes of sort of repetition or reenactment. Mm -hmm. but, but how about you? What do you think the sort of political agency of architecture is right now? Well, I. I think architecture is mainly about politics. And the discussion, in my opinion, requires to be kind of, as you said, like very precisely uh, framed. And I, I really like the way you're talking of it because I think it's, it's the, for me, I'm very close to, you, to your, your, your way of explaining it. I could say that in a way, there was a moment in which many people could feel that architecture was not doing politics because buildings were traveling from one ideology to another. So let's say that they would first be catering to a very specific regime and then without that much change, would travel to a different regime. Yeah. And that was kind of an argument that was opposed to those people that were kind of enthusiastic about the capacity of architecture to um, to kind of capture and serve very previously defined uh, political programs. Like if there was someone that wanted to change the world in this direction, there would be an architecture that could directly take that command and mission and perform it. What I think is that there's ways of rethinking that discussion. 
in a way, when we look at uh, buildings, uh, they, they do politics, but they're not kind of neutral transmissions of previously defined messages or emissions. It's not that you claim something and you do a building to, to take that to daily life. It's that, but it doesn't mean that the building itself is not doing politics, but a different kind of politics. For instance, it's doing politics by making available certain dimensions in a square, or by allowing certain circulations, or by, or by creating different situations. Actually, for instance, I did an, uh, an installation and a long research on the Barcelona Pavilion. Mm -hmm. and the Barcelona Pavilion, it's replica, it's, it's reconstruction. It looks very similar to the previous one, but there were key elements that were introduced to reprogram the building. For instance, they do kind of a garden at the back that could make it impossible for people to go through the building. So everyone now has to enter and leave from the same point. Whereas the Miss van der Rohe building was uh, meant to, and uh, Lili Reich, were, was meant to be kind of a passing point to the Pueblo Español. But because the, the garden was never perceived as real architecture, uh, then people would say, oh, the building is the same, but it's catering to very different political ideas. What I feel is that probably it helped us look at uh, other technologies, like the performative ones that you were discussing in Italy and we've been talking about, the gardening, the furniture, the bells that people put to, to drive people in airports, as, or the people watching, as architectural technologies that are very important if we're dealing with the discussion of politics. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that, of course, those uh, uh, kind of ways of reading it, those material politics, those kind of specific politics that are embedded in, in uh, architectural devices are the ones that Aldo Rossi was claiming that were bringing agency to architecture. Because I think that's also something kind of on the need of being rethought. The idea of autonomy in, in, Ro in Rossi was not that that architecture was not doing politics, but that architecture had a very specific agency, one that was independent from previously kind of previous to architecture programs or previous to architecture ideas that were not directly driven through architecture, but nevertheless, and that's more important, architecture was doing politics, but other sorts of politics. In my opinion, this distinction is crucial, and I think that we're going to be unpacking this now for the next years. Yeah. What would be for you the next step? What could be the next step in your practice? What is that that you'd like to do? Because in a way, your practice is kind of uh, projecting on different directions now as yeah. well. Well, I think the next step is definitely to try permanence rather than impermanence. Um, all of my projects have been ephemeral and so removable, and they haven't had to deal with the harder question of how do you act on a building if your intervention will last. Um, so I'm really interested in that as the next stage. So scaling up, doing projects that are, I guess, closer to what would be called renovations, but are you know transformations of a space that would be permanent. Um, I think that's a much harder thing to wrestle with in terms of agency and justifying action. So let's hope that the opportunities come. <laughs> Excellent. It's been such a pleasure to, to talk to you today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for your really incredible questions. And I'm so glad that we started this dialogue, which I know will continue. So.
Thanks. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.